Anyone wear their linen this morning? Bring their rams and goats? Now we know why McGray took off this, this morning. Uh, he took a weekend off after many weeks. Leviticus, here we go. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would open our heart and our mind uh, to allow these ancient texts that can sometimes be confusing to actually instruct us to inspire us, and to connect us to you and each other. Let it be so. Amen. So after the uh, interesting and powerful stories of Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus kind of hits us like a ton of bricks, doesn't it? It's basically a book of instructions that shows how to kill animals and for what reason. Page upon page lists boring instructions, most of which we don't understand or practice. And some of you, I imagine, wonder how reading this book and knowing how any of these barbaric, by today's standards, and antiquated rituals can actually strengthen our relationship with God or aid us in the journey to follow Jesus. You ever wonder that, reading that Leviticus, those of you who are doing, like what? It can. It can. Leviticus can unlock deeper love and faithfulness to Jesus without barbecuing animals and without using a goat to take the weight of our sin. And Leviticus won't just resonate, here's the challenge, here's the hope, won't just resonate with those Bible nerds among us who geek out when they read this stuff. There's probably not too many of them out here, but I know there are a few. There's a powerful message for people like you and me. People who are here today not sure about Jesus, not sure about the Old Testament and how that God relates to New Testament God or the church. People who are exploring or maybe have questions. And there's a powerful Message for those of us who have been coming to church for a long time, trying to juggle following Jesus with the busyness of our lives. Tall order from what we read today? Perhaps. But I think we'll start first with returning to the end of Exodus. So Exodus, at the end of Exodus, something called the tabernacle was completed. Now, when I first came to church, I had no idea. They were using all this language. I didn't understand. And if that's you, it's okay. It's really okay. You're exactly where you need to be, and you're welcome at this church. So, tabernacle is constructed at the end of uh, Exodus. It's also called the tent of the congregation, or tent of the meeting. And this is the tent when the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is where they worshipped. They believed that God dwelled in that tabernacle and they took it everywhere where they wandered they didn't think it was going to be for 40 years but it was and they wandered everywhere and that tent went with them and it created first basically instructions that's what Leviticus is it's a book of instructions and there's kind of three sets although they overlap somewhat the first is the sacrificial system The sacrificial system for those people was the outward sign that the community made to restore or maintain or give thanks for their relationship with God. 
Okay, so Leviticus kind of established the sacrificial system. And there were five types of sacrifices. And if you haven't listened to Matt and the Rabbi's podcast this week on the Bible Project, you ought to. It's really, really good. And we're not going to go through the five types of sacrifices. You're welcome. But in other words, uh, in other words, they, they created, what God created was a sacrifice, sacrificial system to deal with brokenness or distorted relationship, otherwise known as sin. Okay? So the sacrificial system had to do with sin. So that's number one. Number two. Purification practices. They provided the means by which, and we heard Aaron do it, um, purified themselves to, so that they could oversee these sacrifices that the people gave, and then also for the people to purify themselves. So it also helped the community discover what's clean and what's unclean, what's pure or what's unpure. So that's what Le Leviticus also does. And last but not least, and you may have heard this before, and you, if you read the New Testament, you'll see it pop up, Leviticus outlines the rules called the holiness co codes. And that's at the end. The holiness code is at the end of Leviticus. And they, these are rules that the community is to follow. And it's believed there's 613 commands or rules that folks are supposed to follow. And you see Jesus kind of tussling a good bit with the Pharisees. Um, in the New Testament over some of those. So again, if you haven't glazed over yet, here we go. First, we have the sacrificial system and, and pure, with its purification practices and holiness code. And these enabled the people of God to stay connected to God and to each other, right? And while we don't practice the way that they did, we can take something very, very important from Leviticus if we don't get stuck in the Levitical weeds. And the first is this. Order is sacred. Say that with me one time. I know we don't do this very often, but I want you to do it. Order is sacred. It's sacred because it stabilizes the chaos that surrounds us and that is within us. You see, God is often in the business of creating order out of chaos. And guess what we have, just like they had back then? The human condition, which in and of itself is beauty and chaos. And living in this world is utter chaos, is it not? It's utter chaos. We just have to watch our thoughts for a little while, or watch the news for a little while, or pay attention on what's going on in our country, and look around at the suffering in our community in the world. And it's been like that since the beginning of the time. So, again, order is sacred. And the way we order our, our relationship to God and each other matters. It actually matters. It's sacred. Engaging in rituals, including the ritual that we will do and the sacrament that we will do later, strengthens us. It strengthens our connection to God and to each other. Order and discipline, rhythm and routine are essential for any Jesus follower trying to love God and love others and our enemies more and more and more and more. If you want to grow your faith in Jesus, you're going to have to get some order in your life. Now, 
I don't have to tell that to Sunday morning people who come most Sunday mornings, right? But we all know there are times in our lives that we get into a rut. We can, when, when, when things just aren't connecting, when we feel disconnected to God or the church or the rituals we're engaging, and it feels like there's an aridity in, in, in us, and it's just maybe losing its meaning and significance. Going to worship, praying, reading passages like Leviticus can be like, oh, come on, what's this got for me, right? I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my 15 years here when I was in Debbie's role leading the new member class and others. I, I've seen people drift from order. And you know, what often centers them or brings them back is chaos. Because you can't create order in the midst of chaos. But you can prepare for chaos with order. I want you to check out the story of a good friend who discovered the beauty of order and rhythm and how he took his next step. Check out Clyde's video. I'm from Eastern North Carolina, moved to Tampa 10 years ago, been regularly attending Hyde Park United Methodist for a couple of years now, uh, typically attend the Magnolia service. So I grew up in the United Methodist Church, uh, went to church every Sunday, went off to college, kind of drifted in my relationship with God and church, moved to Tampa back in 09 to start a business. Uh, moved here with uh, with a family and two children. At that time, my relationship with God was was, was strained. Went through a uh, season of change in my personal life, uh, and I found myself really uh, realizing, taking a, slowing down, taking a step back, and realizing that something was missing in my life. I guess I realized I was just checking the boxes, and uh, that that I needed to delve a little deeper and joined a small group. I think I started to experience God in my my Tuesday morning small group. You know, I sit around a table and I see a bunch of guys that were just like me. You know, they're all dads, they're all professionals, they all have zero time, yet they were making the time to meditate, practice gratitude, or pray, do something to further their relationship with God a couple of times a week. Uh, I found myself coming in and reporting every single week that, that I'd done absolutely nothing. And, uh, uh, you know, realized that, that I could do better and it started slow. Uh, it started with, uh, you know, one prayer once a week, you know. Uh, then, it, then it starts with two nights a week, three nights a week. Um, and before long, it, it, I realized it was becoming a routine and something I was really, really drawing strength from. You've got to engage and it doesn't happen overnight. Start small, anything, you know. Uh, I practice, practice gratitude walking down the street. Uh, you know, say a prayer before you go to bed at night. It doesn't have to be anything earth-shaking. You know, it wasn't for me. But when you establish a routine and it starts to happen over and over, you start to incorporate it into your life and, and you really start to, to draw strength from it. That's why uh, Hyde Park encourages you and, and challenge you to order your life around community practices like worship and small group and finding a way to serve because they change us, they bind us, they maintained us, they build us. Just like the ancient, ancient Israelites, spiritual practices matter. They matter, order and discipline, rhythm and routine are important for all of us. Yep, so I want to, uh, I want to encourage you. 
in the grip. We hear that a lot, and we're going to do a little test today. There's a test. I know we don't often get them. But what does grip stand for? What's the G? Give. What's important to us? R. Read Scripture. Understand and connect with God. I. Invite others to worship. And P. Prayer. As a way to commune with God who has given us everything. Everything. So my own uh, ritual and connection through kind of sacred order happens real early in the morning at a weird kind of time. I don't know why I picked it, but I pick up at a weird time, and I set my alarm, and I get up, and I do 20 minutes of something called centering prayer. And then after that time, I pray for my family and those, uh, those prayer requests for my groups and things like that. And that's like fuel in your tank. It's like filling up your tank. And I don't know if you noticed in, in Clyde's video, but it was real subtle, and he said it kind of fast. And he said, then I had a life transition. You see, order prepares us for the chaos. And it's hard to catch up with order when, the chaos, when we don't have it as a, as a track record. Does that make sense? But he was able to do it. He was able to do it. And like Clyde, you might, have, uh, uh, you, you might have been able to identify with him that he was just checking the boxes. And if that's you, that's okay. Just take a, take a next step. Start somewhere. You can too. So if order is sacred, this is the first uh, way Leviticus can instruct us. But Leviticus can also instruct us somewhere else. If, for those of you have, who have been reading it, you will see throughout it, it talks about bringing the best animal without blemish to be offered to God. There was something significant in Leviticus and throughout different uh, Old Testament books about the worthiness of the gift that's offered. People weren't to bring the sick and the lame animals they weren't. They bring the best animals. Now, for us, it's harder, harder for us to kind of imagine in that those best animals were their livelihood, were their food, were what gave them things to eat. And they were giving their best animals as a sacrifice. Because if they gave the lame or the rotten food as, as an offering, that just wouldn't be their best, would it? It would be like no sacrifice at all. Now I remember I used to work down the street. If you went down to Zeal right there on the right hand side right where Fielder right before you get to South Boulevard I used to work at a house there as a case manager and there's kind of a legend there. It was for guys transitioning out of jail and prison and they'd come to that house 20 of them and they would begin to get back on their feet to be transitioned to the community and so there was a case manager there and he told the story about um, receiving a phone call of somebody who really wanted to donate some, some clothes and, uh, and then he was going to drop off some clothes and so he did and, um, and there were three big big garbage bags and the case manager didn't have time to get through it so he threw it in his office and was planning on sorting it the next day and so got in the next day was pretty excited because you know guys coming out of jail and prison often don't have a lot of stuff and so he opened it up And when he opened it up, what he discovered was the clothes were really used and really old 
and some hadn't even been washed. Somebody's got scrunch face out there. He did too. What's the point? Whomever gave that donation didn't offer their best. Rather, they offered what they no longer wanted or needed. And you know, in the spiritual life, there are times that we do that too, don't we? I do that. We offer God our our time and our talent and our money after we got everything else done. We give God our leftovers when we come to worship sometimes. So what Leviticus shows us as another principle that we can extract for that for our own spiritual journey is God deserves our best. God deserves your best. So what would that look like for you this week? How might you sacrifice your time in the form of prayer or reading a devotion or being in a group or serving? How, what could you give God sacrificially, not the lame leftovers, but the first unblemished? The climax of Leviticus 16 establishes something called Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is one of the holiest days for the Jews. It's known as the Day of Atonement. Jews observe it every year to this day. And some some of the research I did said that they prepare by doing 25 hours of fasting and praying, spending most of the day in the synagogues. But they prepare for it a month in advance when they begin to look at their lives, look at the way that they sinned or uh, had broken relationships, um, kind of like the way we do in Lent as we prepare for Easter. They are supposed to conve- confess their sins, pray, and give to charity. You see, Leviticus 16, 1 through 9 details Aaron. We heard a little bit of it. Aaron is uh, related to Moses. He's the chief priest, and he's carrying out the commands to Kippur. Will you say that with me? Kippur. Kippur means to atone for the sins of the community. Aaron is instructed to prepare himself in the tabernacle with an acceptable animal sacrifice and ritual. And once once completed, he takes the live goat and he puts his hands on the head of the live goat and transfers all the sins of the community onto the head of that goat. And that goat is driven into the wilderness. Here's our key verse again. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a barren region, and the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. That is where, what that goat was, was the scapegoat. That's where that comes from. There is a transfer, an atonement, a transfer that happened onto the goat from the, the sinfulness and brokenness of the community, and then it was set free, and it was a renewal. It was a starting over. Here's the thing about Leviticus. Order and ritual strengthens our relationship to God and each other, and bringing our best is something that we do in response and gratitude to God. 
But here's the key. And this is something for our church and our community and the world to hear and remember and know. Neither of those things atone for our sin. Neither of those things is what atone for our sins. In John's gospel, John the Baptist declares as he saw Jesus coming to the world, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteous of God in Jesus. You see, Jesus' life, death on the cross, and resurrection by God eliminated the sacrificial system forever. He has taken your individual sins, our sins collectively, the sins that we see out in the world, and it became the ultimate scapegoat himself because Jesus fulfills the sacrifice In Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about a tax collector and a religious leader, both of whom were in the temple praying. I love this story because it rips on people like me. The religious leader or Pharisee was uh, thanking God. He wasn't like those sinners who sinned greatly, especially like the tax collector, especially like that guy who really sinned boldly. He reviewed all the ways he did the right rituals. He brought his best to God and did all the right things. And the tax collector was over off in the corner and he wouldn't even lift his head. But he recognized his need before God. You see, brothers and sisters, we don't do order and we don't do good works to atone for our sins We do good works in order because our sins have already been atoned for by Jesus the Christ over 2,000 years ago. Order strengthens us. Bringing our best shows our devotion. But Jesus Christ is the ultimate scapegoat, the only sacrifice you'll ever need. There's nothing that you can do that will separate you more from God or nothing you do, you do that atone more for your sin. It's only Jesus' life, death, and resurrection right there for you just to say yes. Confess your need before God. Recognize that God has freed you and you will experience a love in this, in this life here and now and a life in the next that is beyond your wildest dreams. That's why Leviticus matters. Let's pray together. God of life and of love, we give thanks that you give us order to help us with our chaos. Give us strength to provide our best and remember it's you that have atoned for our sins. And our response to that is to do love, to do good works, and to be the people you've called us to be. To participate in the transformation of this world, in the, in the brokenness in this world. To bring about heaven here on earth as it is in heaven, like we pray every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. So inspire us 
Inspire us to create the order we need to connect us to you and to each other. We ask all these things in the power of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Christ's name, amen.